show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Experience, business, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Consumer first health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status. No. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Hey, it's Jared Johnson from Shift Forward Health, and here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about Optum and Uber's new partnership. Does consumer innovation mean the same thing to different types of organizations? And are partnerships a viable means of designing consumer-first services and benefits? I'll talk about that. Then I welcome Brad Smith, chairman and CEO of Main Street Health, to discuss value-based care for rural America. Brad shares his vision for improving care in rural areas and the role that health navigators can play in this critical transformation. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. It's probably best to always keep one eye on Optum. The Payvider's latest innovation is a partnership with Uber. According to Beckers, some Medicare Advantage beneficiaries will have coverage for Uber app purchases, including rides to physician visits and healthy foods, due to a new partnership between Optum and Uber. Starting in January, Uber will allow Medicare Advantage members with a health benefit card issued on Optum's payments platform to purchase rides and groceries and over-the-counter items for delivery. Here's the interesting part. The Uber app will keep a real-time record of which goods and services are covered by the Optum-enabled benefits card and charge it directly, removing the typical reimbursement process. They expect to expand the benefits in the future to include Medicaid and commercial health plan beneficiaries. This is Uber's latest move in healthcare, but hardly their first. Earlier this year, they expanded to offer grocery and over-the-counter pharmacy products to beneficiaries of participating plans through the Uber Health platform with the deliveries conducted by Uber Eats. This built upon the company's initial offerings of delivering healthy meals and same-day prescription medications to patients. So that part about removing the reimbursement process, that's pretty cool, right? That's not adding friction. That's using existing apps that are familiar to a lot of users already. When a consumer innovation comes from a payer, it tends to look different than when it comes from a health system. You may have noticed that I tend to highlight a lot of partnerships as examples of consumer innovations. And yes, I admit sometimes I still attempt to be a voice of reason to treat the chronic myopia that health system leaders still seem to suffer from. But all I know is that 300 episodes into this podcast, I'm convinced that the term consumer innovation means something very different depending on the type of organization that's talking about it. Years ago, innovation meant a new digital solution and all of the investments and promises that came with it. No one was really talking about innovating around consumers' needs and expectations, and heaven forbid, simplifying a process or partnering with somebody outside of the existing healthcare system. I mean, why would we do that, right? But this is my point. These days, consumer innovation can mean a partnership to make it easier for a member to get a ride. And sure, this won't solve everything, and it might not change a lot of people's behaviors, but it might make a difference for a segment of everyday people. And that's good enough for me. Let's pay close attention not only to the types of consumer innovations that are happening, but where they're coming from. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the Week.
flow, the flow, the flow. Hey, everyone, let's get into the flow. Please join me and give it up for Brad Smith, my guest this week. Brad is the chairman and CEO of Main Street Health. They're a value-based healthcare company focused exclusively on serving rural America. Let's dig into what that means. But first, Brad, welcome to the Healthcare Wrap. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. What did I miss in your bio? What would you like our listeners to know about you? I've got three little girls, one that's five, one that's three, and one and one that's one and a half. So that keeps me pretty busy when I'm not working on the healthcare stuff. So. That's awesome. That gives you reason to get up in the morning. I know about that. That's awesome. And you get up plenty early when you've got three little girls. So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's right. They always remind you. Yes, absolutely. That's a lot of fun. Now, where are you based out of? Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville. Fantastic. I'm excited to dive into a little bit about Main Street Health today. We're going to talk about rural America. We're also going to talk about CareBridge and what that has to do with everything here. I like to start with asking our guests lately. We've had such great answers to this question about what's one of the best pieces of career advice that you've ever received. And what I've found a lot is that with with senior leaders, C-suite, founders, there's typically something that led to to realize that there's more to their work career than just a job. Like they found some mission and some meaning in it. And I don't know if that's the case here, but is there a piece of career advice that has come to mind that you're like, you know, that helped influence where I am today? I think the best advice is actually I got from Bill Frist, who's been a mentor for a long time when I came back from uh, working up in Washington, D.C., maybe you know three or four years ago. And he's in his early 70s now. And his advice was really to think about, hey, when you're 70 and looking back, you know, what are you going to be the most excited and feel was the most important work that you did? And I think that's really affected how I've decided to spend my time since coming back from DC. And it's affected the kind of companies I've gotten involved with. As, as he said to me, it doesn't mean everything that you do is going to be long lasting and be there when you're 70. But, you know, over the course of a 30 or 40 year career, you want to have a couple of those things that when you look back, you're like, hey, like I, I really did make a difference and I can still see that contributing here 10, 20, 30 years later. Ah, I love that. Sometimes we miss that vision or that line of sight to recognize how one thing does influence something way further down the road that we realize. And I, I, I love thinking about that. And you mentioned DC. I don't know if that was the time where you were with the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, like you're the director there. Is that the time you were referring to? That's right. Yeah. So I went up there to run the CMS Innovation Center and uh, about six or eight months or six, sorry, six or eight weeks after getting up there, uh, COVID hit. So I ended up doing the Innovation Center job, but I, I spent almost the entire year over at the White House working on COVID, actually. But uh, but it was a wild year, but uh, but learned a lot. It was a lot of fun. That was a, a launching pad for where you are today. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about Main Street Health. Can you give us a layperson's explanation of what it is and, and why it's unique? Yeah, for sure. So, so, so Main Street is really focused on improving healthcare in rural America. So as you think about the towns that we're in, the average kind of community would be, call it three to 5,000 people. Like a, a big town would be 10,000 people, right? So these are communities where there's two or three physician practices. Like the average physician practice might be a doctor and one or two nurse practitioners. Like a really big practice would be like two doctors and four nurse practitioners. And what we're really trying to do is give those practices the resources they need to really be able to do what we call value-based care, but really kind of longitudinal, thoughtful care for patients and be able to do all those little things they may not have time for, things like calling patients after they go to the hospital to schedule a visit to come in, calling them if they forget to pick up their medication. One of the things that we found is really amazing about rural America is in these small towns, our navigators and the doctors, I mean, they know all, not all these folks, but they know lots of the patients that come in. And I think that relational piece 
is really important in healthcare everywhere, but it's especially important in rural America. We've discussed rural health periodically here on the show. And I've always been, I think it's always been enlightening to me to recognize how much of the country does fit the description of what you just said. The size of town that somebody might live in and as a result, the size of or lack of size of healthcare services available there. And I can relate a lot of my family on both sides of my family, my side and my wife's side do live in rural areas. And when that is, that's the situation. And so you just get used to it. And you may not know if there are other options. And right now, my, my mother-in-law, she's got to take a four-hour drive to get to see a specialist. So yeah, th- this is very much every day in, in my life right now. And I think it's interesting because it's just one of those things that if people aren't looking for it or, or they don't live in a rural area, they don't recognize how much work is happening here and how much work does need to happen to improve some of these things. So let, let's talk about the vision here. This usually just has to do with why an organization was founded in the first place. You recognize there was a problem or an opportunity for improvement somewhere and then you see a path to improve that. What's Main Street Health's vision for rural healthcare in America? My family is from, my mom's family is from rural East Tennessee, a little town called Spring City that's about halfway between Nashville and Knoxville. And my wife's from a small town uh, called Abbeville, Alabama. Our dad's a peanut farmer down there. And I think what you see in those small towns is typically, and this is a little bit of generalization, but kind of older primary care physicians almost always, or at least many times from that town, went away for med school came back. I would say in every third or fourth town that we're in, there is a hospital, a local hospital. Typically, they're having a hard time. They will always normally have an ER inpatient. They may have one or two specialties if there happens to be a specialist who either lives in that area or maybe they come like one day a week. But I think what we're seeing all across rural America is one, that the primary care practices generally are more under-resourced than in, in the urban areas. And the way that specialty care happens is, I don't want to say haphazard, but kind of random, right? It's, it's if there's a nephrologist who happens to live in your town or two towns over, you may be able to see them in your town or in a 30-minute drive. But if there's not, like your family, you may be driving four hours or three hours to, to see them. And I think really what we see as the opportunity for Main Street is to number one, improve and give more resources to the rural primary care doctors who we think are critical to delivering high quality care in rural America. And while we do see the number of you know physicians uh, declining, we also see a lot of colleges and universities in these rural areas training a lot of advanced practice providers, right? And so you do have a lot of nurse practitioners, PAs, et cetera, delivering primary care. And so we think giving them, we give them a, we call it a health navigator. It's like a community health worker, but giving them additional resources to be in their practice, have a real disciplinary care team. We think that's critical on the primary care side across the country, but especially in rural areas. And then I think on the specialty side, which we're just starting to think about a little bit, it's thinking about what are the services that it makes sense to deliver locally, whether it's in the community hospital or in some kind of outpatient center versus what are the things that it doesn't make sense to do there, like maybe hips and knees or certain cardiac procedures, right? And when somebody needs that, how do you have an organized mechanism of care so that somebody's not getting put on an eight-week wait list to get to see a patient? But how do you kind of know who the high-quality specialists are and have a kind of referral network, for lack of a better word, set up to make sure people are getting high 
value-based care. And so that's really what we think the vision is over time is kind of taking it from under-resourced primary care practices, and I don't want to call it uncoordinated, but a little haphazard specialty network and delivery to really strong, better resourced, more interdisciplinary primary care practices, and then a more thoughtful specialist network that includes both local care delivery and then also a a broader referral network. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, like we don't commonly hear about value-based care, at least I don't that's focused on serving rural areas, as you just described. Can you tell me a little bit more about how it works? For sure. So the key for us is really this health navigator that, that we put in the clinic. And so think of this person as somebody who may have some healthcare background. Maybe they were an LPN or maybe they were a home health aide, but many times they're just familiar with the healthcare system. And more importantly, they're like a friendly face, right? They may have taken care of their mom or their brother or their sister. And most importantly, they're in the clinic, right? So When you walk into the clinic, they'll typically be sitting on the clinic, potentially sitting at at the front desk. When you get taken back to your uh, exam room, if you imagine kind of that time between when you get taken back to the exam room and when the doctor comes in, right? Many times they'll come in and, and visit with you just to check in, see if you need anything. They may help you with your prescriptions or if you have social determinant of health needs or other things like that. But really, they're just getting to know you when you come into the clinic and see if you have any immediate needs. But, but then more importantly, what they become is as things happen. So we built a lot of data analytics on the back end to know things like, did you pick up your prescription? Did you go to the hospital? Have you come in for a visit this year? And what happens is when one of those things hasn't happened, the navigator will call you and say, hey, this is Brad from Martin Medical Center. And I'm just calling to see, no, you haven't been in this year, Mrs. Smith, and just wanted to see if you'd be up for coming in. Dr. Jones thought it'd be really good for you to come in this year and and just check in with everybody. And what we found in these rural communities is being able to know the local town, being able to tell people, where they could park, being able to talk to people about what happened in the Friday night football game. Like all those things are are really important. We don't think they can be done kind of all virtually or by folks sitting in Nashville that you've got to have people living in and who are part of these communities who are really helping facilitate a lot of that. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of hands-on work to make sure this happens and there's a connected experience ultimately happening for for those who are experiencing the care, it sounds like. I mean, this concept makes a lot of sense (laughs) the more you talk about it, but I'm sure there's an opportunity to improve and just make this happen in a lot more areas. Like, what, What are some of the challenges? Like, What's keeping this from happening? What are some of the challenges in providing care in rural areas? I'd say a couple of things. I mean, I First, let, the work is a lot of boots on the ground, right? Like we have almost entirely and uh, folks on our team who are from these communities, right? Who care a lot about these communities. Most of them have worked in healthcare, kind of our leaders over time, but they're very committed and, and they're driving. We had one doctor who drove 6,000 miles in one month, right? <laughs> to go out to all these clinics. So it just required, I, I tell people it's most, I worked in politics before getting into healthcare and it's most similar to almost like a political campaign, right? You're going door to door. I don't know how many small towns you've been in, but like a lot of them have like a legit like town square, right? With like the city or the county kind of building in the middle. And there's like an independent pharmacy and maybe one or two restaurants and a dollar general, right? And it's literally like walking in and meeting the person who runs the one office chamber of commerce or walking in and meeting somebody at the courthouse and getting introduced to the doctor. And it really is kind of that on the ground relationship building 
that's so important, making it work over time. I imagine some of this will make a dent in that work and recognizing that it is different based on the region, based on every town. Like you said, some are set up a little bit more, some are a little larger than others, just have more resources and more providers available there. And yeah, there's just a lot of variability here by the sound of it. And I would say that's true, but I'd say one of the things that's the most interesting, actually, and there's definitely variability. Every town is different, to your point. But I would say... We're in 18 states going into 26 states. And I think we've been surprised by how similar the challenges are, whether you're in rural Tennessee, rural upstate New York, rural Montana. Like there are definitely things that are different, absolutely. But kind of the small town vibe across the country is a lot more similar than you would actually think in in many ways. Oh, that's really cool, actually. (laughs) I want to switch gears a little bit because I I think part of the exciting work you're doing is on the CareBridge side. Let's talk about CareBridge for a moment. Can you explain what that is and and give us a a layperson's explanation of what they do? Yeah, absolutely. So CareBridge is a company that serves Medicaid patients. And we serve the group of Medicaid patients receiving something called home and community-based services. But think of this as the they're 3% of the Medicaid patients, but they're about 17% of the cost. So it's kind of like the most expensive group within Medicaid. But essentially, these are patients who typically have a physical or an intellectual or a developmental disability. And they typically could be somebody who maybe would have a level of need that they would need to be in, say, a facility of some kind, a nursing home or a kind of group setting. But many times they've decided and their families have decided for them to live at home. And so they typically have a caregiver, typically a non-clinical caregiver who's coming to the home anywhere from 10 hours a week to call it every 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? And because some of these folks are on trachs and other things like that. What we really do is kind of two things. One is one of the things we learned as we spend a lot of time with these patients is it's hard for many of them to get out of the house and going to the doctor is not that easy. But what's unique about them is they have this caregiver in the home. And so what we do is we deploy a tablet that's cellular enabled, so they don't have to have wireless or anything like that to the home. And the caregivers use it to do something called check-ins and check-outs, kind of when they get to the home, when they leave. But we ask them questions about, was Miss Smith having a hard time breathing today? Did she fall? Did she eat, et cetera? And they can, there's a red button on it, and they can call us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The caregiver can call, the patient can call, the patient's family can call. And what we found is by having a team of doctors and nurse practitioners and behavioral health specialists and social workers that they can reach 24 hours a day, has really empowered the caregiver who's in the home, who's typically and almost always not clinical, to be able to help manage that patient better at home and not have to necessarily get them out of the house just to go to see the PCP. And again, we still want them to see their PCP when they can get out of the house. But but a lot of these patients, some of them have to have, for example, an ambulance come pick them up to take them to, to the PCP. The other thing that we do, that one of the things that makes me the most excited about CareBridge is The idea of home and community-based services was to really help folks be independent at home. But the way the system has evolved is it hasn't always focused on maximizing a patient's independence. I'll just give you an example. Like imagine somebody who's getting a little bit older and they're starting to have a hard time taking a shower, right? One of the things that you could do is you could have somebody come over and give that person a bath like three or four days a week, which in some ways is really good, right? Somebody's there taking care of them, doing a lot of it. But as you and I know, as you stop doing things, you start to lose your ability to do them, right? Your muscles atrophy, other things like that. Another way to do it is to say, 
hey, maybe you're just getting a little bit worse. Maybe we could get you a shower chair and maybe we get you a grab bar. I mean, we get you a long handle sponge and maybe we get you two or three weeks of OT and PT to make sure you can do it safely. And then maybe you're able for another six or 12 months to give yourself a shower. And a lot of these things that kind of aides are helping with are very personal things, right? They're showering, they're going to the restroom, they're eating, right? And a lot of people want to be doing those things independent. And so we also employ occupational therapists and physical therapists to help really think about like, does the member have all the items, the DME, the technology, like pillboxes, et cetera, that they need to be able to live as independently as possible? And when they need help, do they have the right level of help consistently to be able to help them in person? So at, at what level is this type of care happening? The the type of care that CareBridge provides, is this at an individual clinic? Is it patient population? Yeah, it's for patients in their home. So we contract with managed Medicaid plans who've received contracts from the states, right? And then we reach out to their patients who are receiving home and community-based services, which typically is about 3 4% of the total Medicaid patients in the state. This is under a different umbrella than Main Street Health. I just want to help our listeners understand. We're talking about two different entities. There's two companies. So there's Main Street Health, where I'm the chairman and the CEO. And then there's CareBridge, where I'm the executive chairman. And then Paneet Singh is our uh, our CEO there. Fantastic. No, the needs when we talk more about home and community-based care, they're just the things that get not as much of a spotlight. And I hope to change that, right? I hope to change the the narrative because this is where so much important care happens. And it's usually when we're talking about a loved one or somebody we know, somebody we care about, this is where that type of care happens. And so to have the right types of services available that really can improve their health and then for them to also know about it, <laughs> that, that this is available, I think that's the other side of this coin. And in both cases, when we talk about Main Street Health and CareBridge, I imagine the conversation is somewhat similar in terms of what success looks like. But do you want to talk about that for a minute? Like what the goals are between the two different organizations? Yeah, for sure. I think in both cases, they're really unique populations, right? Rural America is very specific in the needs and the challenges. And I think the home and community-based service Medicaid population is very specific. And, And what we've tried to do in both cases is build really specific solutions that make sense for those patients, right? So in these rural communities, we were talking about like on the ground, face to face relationships is really important. And we've kind of built our and the local primary care doctor is very important. So we kind of built the whole model to serve that specific need in a very different way, but very patient specific, right? Or patient centric. At CareBridge, we've really focused on, hey, these are a different set of patients, right? They're all at home. Uh, they all have like a typically a non-clinical caregiver in the home, but 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 they have a lot of clinical needs, right? And so how do we wrap clinicians, whether it's doctors, nurse practitioners, OTs, PTs, around that caregiver and around that family so they can be safe at home, live independently at home? So I I think in both cases, it really comes back to understanding what's happening to the patients who are in those circumstances, what's their experience with the healthcare system like, and how can you make it better? And then I think what we've learned over, over time is like, after we figure out that model, how do you scale it really quickly? And I think one of the things that's been important in both of our businesses is in order to be able to scale you have to be able to work with the health plans. It's just how you kind of get paid and and can like build a scalable model. And one of the strategies we've used in both cases that's worked really well is bringing the health plans in as investors. So at CareBridge, we brought in the four biggest Medicaid plans, United, Elevance, Centene, and CVS as investors. And that's allowed us to scale really quickly over over the past two years. We went from probably 7,000 patients when I got involved and came back from DC to 115,000 patients over the past two years. And on the Main Street side, 
We just did a financing round where we brought in United Healthcare and Humana and Centene and Elevance all as investors. And that's allowed us to scale there really quickly. We started in 15 clinics back in 2021. So we're two years in and we're already in 900 clinics. And so I think in both cases, it's really about making sure the model works and making sure that you're really changing the experience for patients. But then as soon as you do that, figure out how to scale as as fast as you can so you can serve as many people as possible. Yeah, I love talking about scaling because that is such an important piece of the puzzle here of how to ultimately make an impact and get to where we're feeling like we are experiencing success and we're making a difference here. If we think about three years from now, if we pick up a a window here, kind of on the short-term horizon, what do you hope we're celebrating in healthcare like three years from now? Well, I'll maybe do the care bridge and Main Street people first and then maybe the broader vision, although I'm not sure the broader vision will work in three years. might take a little bit longer. But I think on like the CureBridge side, right? Hopefully what CureBridge shows is that you can build big value-based healthcare companies in Medicaid. One of the things I saw at CMS is a lot, if not, you know, 80, 90% of the innovation around value-based care has all been around Medicare patients. And I think CureBridge shows that you can build really good companies around Medicaid. And I hope that means more people start innovating around complex Medicaid populations because there's a lot of unmet need there. And I I hope lots of other people will build other kinds of models for SMI, serious mental illness and maternity and and other kind of high risk populations in Medicaid. And then I really hope with Main Street, we can start to shift how rural care gets delivered. And as I was mentioning before, kind of going from this, I don't call it haphazard, but kind of random, depending on which doctor lives in your town or which specialist lives in your town, to really more of a system of care that's based in strong interdisciplinary primary care in rural communities combined with rural hospitals who are delivering kind of the essential services, combined with the ability to get in and see specialists in, in larger areas when, when you need to and when you have to, but in a way that coordinates back into your, I think, bigger picture outside of the two companies. The healthcare costs in the U.S. continue to, to increase, especially in the commercial market. Life expectancy is the same or going down potentially. And so I still think the U.S. hasn't cracked the nut on healthcare. We spend a lot and probably get less than a lot of other countries get. At the same time, we have some amazing things like incredible innovation. If you're really sick anywhere in the world, you want to come to the U.S. because we have the best tertiary and, and specialty care if you're really sick. But I hope that over the next probably more like decade that we can really figure out a way to, one, restrain or at least stabilize costs a little bit more, both in the government markets, Medicare and Medicaid, but but also in the commercial market where it's just going up really quickly. And then also that we can really better understand what are these factors that are driving down life expectancy across the country and are there things that we can do around CHF, COPD, obesity, smoking. I mean, these basic public health things, they can really help improve the link and hopefully the quality of people's life. All things that that I do hope we're celebrating in that we are at least making progress. Maybe we haven't reached that destination yet, but that we've made a lot of progress in the coming years for sure. Because I, I feel like a lot of this, I guess the innovation side of it is what excites me. And then then I always get to this thought of like, okay, how do we communicate this? How do we communicate the value proposition essentially of this to all the stakeholders involved? And I know that's one of the big challenges as you grow, as you scale and still try to innovate and improve the service itself that's offered. There's a lot going on, I know, for you. But I just, those are the parts that are really exciting here. And to hear that those are things that could ultimately bring a type of healthcare to these populations that is, at the very least, more trustworthy, more easier or simpler in some way, or if it's even more available, if it's more accessible, if it's more available, if it's more affordable, if it's any of these things, that's what we're rooting for here. And I think 
there's a lot to cheer for, quite frankly. This has been so enlightening. I, I love hearing about the innovation that's happening in all these different corners of the industry. So my last question for you would just be, you personally, Brad, you know, we've talked so much about the companies, but what trends are you paying attention to right now? Maybe they're not even in healthcare or in some of the areas we mentioned, but just what, like what's on in the middle of your radar screen right now? I mean, I'd say one of the things I'm trying to learn the most about is some of these really expensive therapeutics that are coming to market that I think have the ability to be life-changing and life-saving for many people, but that also have really high cost. And I think just thinking about how do you integrate those kinds of therapies into the healthcare delivery system in a way that improves quality and does it in a way that doesn't break the bank is going to be really important. And I think if we as a country can figure that out, we have the ability to continue to lead on the innovation front, but do so in a fiscally sustainable way. And I think it's a really complicated and, and challenging problem. I don't have any answers on it, but, but it's something I'm you know, spending a lot of time thinking about and trying to learn a lot more about. Cool. Yeah. If some of those answers come, we'd love to hear that too. <laughs> so that'd be awesome. Me too. We'll see. Hopefully I'll find smarter people to help me think through it. But. <laughs> That's great. Brad, it's been such a pleasure. You've given us so much to think about today. Uh, what's the best way for listeners to connect with you or learn more about Main Street Health? Is that just on the Main Street website? Where's the best place for people to learn more? Yeah, we've got a website, MainStreetRuralHealth.com. And uh, yeah, we'd love for them to come. They can like send us an email or whatever. And yeah, we'd love to hear from them. And the same thing for CareBridge. How would people learn about that? That's right. Yep, we got a website called CareBridgeHealth.com. And uh, same thing, they can drop us a note and we would uh, love to connect with them. Outstanding. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. I've had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Brad Smith from Main Street Health and CareBridge. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. It was great. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Tell your colleagues to tune in for all the awesomeness, then leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. And remember, we might have a lot of work to do in healthcare, but we'll get there faster together. Thanks again.